Hello, I'm AG. And I'm Leah. And this is. What are you on about? This is a show about water. We're gonna un- unravel all the mysteries around the water behind the bill. We are the water. Mythbusters. This is just about having fun. Hi, Leah. Hi, Anna. Hi, so how are things? Oh, you know. It's a nice day outside. Yeah. It's sunny. So, what did you think of live recording? Uh, live recording is a weird one. It's a bit tricky. So, you know, people will have to be patient with us because some of our episodes will be live recorded. So, from you know, a classroom setting. From a classroom. But again, this is about connecting the learning with the stuff that we do. So, it's all fun. Yeah, you know, I mean, we'll, it's all fun. We'll, we'll have we'll have a few yeah. done in the classroom and then most of them, I think, will be yeah, us sitting studio. down. Yeah, all right. Look, I today is a really special episode. This episode is a bit selfish. It's episode is really about me because I really have a big... You mean like all the other ones aren't about you? Uh, well, no, they are about water. So, you know, if you think water is me, that's fine. <laughs> but look, this one is really about me. And I have a, this giant, big, mega confession to make to you. What's that? I have a chip on my shoulder. You mean you've only got one? Oh, well, let's just talk about this one. <laughs> <laughs> and this chip on my shoulder is bit is a bit complicated. I am a limnologist by training. And what the hell is that, Anna? Exactly. That is the problem. (laughs) I am an expert in a field that actually no one knows what it is other than the people that you explained it to you and the the limnologists themselves. So this is really what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about limnology what the hell is limnology who you know people would say limnology they go like oh is it immunology so people actually know more immunology than but i have to say it's not worse than being like a, a malacologist do you know what a malacologist is i have no idea what a malacologist well, is a malacologist is an expert in muscles like muscles that live in the water oh okay <laughs> So, I mean, I thought I thought like specialist names, like you know, the Oten laryngologist. Yeah, what is that? That's what everybody else calls an ENT, an oh, ear, nose, and throat specialist. Right. I probably said that wrong. Yeah. If you are an ENT specialist, I apologize. Do you know what this? Do you know what the source of this being having a, a, a chip on your shoulder comes from? It's it is an Australian. It's not an Australian. It's in America. You hear it all around the world. And I mean, no, I I've, I obviously grew up hearing the. Uh, phrase mm. someone's got a chip on their shoulder yeah but that's no different in australia to hearing like tall poppy syndrome because oh, yeah. okay. i think a lot of people that have been a victim of tall poppy syndrome in australia mm. end up with a chip on their shoulder uh, oh here you go <laughs> and then they spend their life trying to explain why they were like tall poppy syndrome yeah so oh. so we have we have we have i've just introduced another one i'm not mm. sure yeah Maybe we'll we'll, we'll you have know, an episode about we'll have an episode about tall poppy syndrome yeah, another time. But yeah. today we'll talk about Anas's chip oh, on no. his shoulder. Oh, we have to d- d- like we have to disseminate this one. So yeah. So limnology is simply the study of lakes. But oh, but some people no say, no 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 wait wait no. Yeah. I've seen this. So 
I was introduced to limnology not through any other means other than seeing a sticker on my door on Anas's door <laughs> at some says, point, which says, "Have you hugged a limnologist today?" Yeah. Of which the byline on this sticker says, "Limnology, the study of inland waters." Yeah. As, as a broader thing. But, you know, I studied limnology in Canada. And limnology in Canada is mostly about lakes. Yes. Lakes. So, you know, we're going to talk about lakes in a minute. So, lots of people will tell you limnologists are people who study lakes. Right? Okay. Uh, but in Australia, there are lots of people who refer to themselves as limnologists and they study rivers or they study uh, uh, estuaries uh, estuaries, or they study. So so it is sort of a, a sub subdivision of being like surface hydrologist or water hydrologist or uh, well, a water hyd hydrologist well, is a water person. I suppose, but I've mm. always thought of what I know about mm. limnology now is yeah. that there's probably more of a focus in limnology on actual physics yeah. of what happens in the water column. That's right. Well, that's one aspect, but it's not. Because if you look, there's like lots of books about limnology that talk about that. But let me let me just, this, you know, like just clarify this to people. Now, people who study lakes are called limnologists, okay? because the study of limnology started in Europe, essentially around some famous lakes like uh, uh, Lake Geneva, uh, which is between France and Switzerland. There is also some people that say limnology started also in Sweden, in Uppsala in particular. So there's lots of people who share this idea, but essentially it is a discipline that combines the physics, the biology and the chemistry of lakes to try to understand how lakes work. Now, why should we care about lakes in the first place? I mean, lakes are source of water, yeah? Well, yes, they're a very, very important source of water. I just thought I'd look up, you know, yeah. the roots of the word limnology yeah. before you... Yeah, you, uh, before I go. So, before I'm, you went too yeah, much further, because yeah, yeah. I thought that it was Greek, and yeah. a quick search has yeah. revealed. Uh, revealed that, in fact, it is... Greek. Limnos. Limnos, a yeah. Greek island in the North Aegean Sea. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how that relates yeah. to limnology. Yeah, but limno but Limnos is a lake in Greek, essentially. Yeah. Mm. But anyway, sorry. It means a lake or sea or small sea. So, you know, in German, it's actually Z. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, lakes are, um, you know, a Z. In a, in a, it's like a C. It's the same as the C. Do you mean a Z? Yeah, no, it's a C with like not Z, but uh, it's like the sound of C, but with a Z. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's very funny, but I am I have always been fascinated by limnology because I learned so much from limnology. So I've been essentially to the heart of what is the heart of limnology. That's what I did my studies in North America where there are lots of lakes. There's like millions of lakes. And I've studied small lakes, large lakes, big lakes. In fact, there are lakes that, you know, the first time I flew um, from East Coast Canada to the West, I was going to Vancouver, that we spent like a long extended period of time in the air where I couldn't see anything but water. Coming from Morocco, which is mostly a, an ocean facing country, to me, anything that's big is the ocean. But I was flying inlands on these surfaces that all, there was water everywhere. Everywhere you looked, 
there was water and there was the, the this was my first experience of lakes the great lakes ended up actually doing my postdoc at the university of waterloo studying lake erie which is one of which is the smallest of the great lakes but if you go there it's like it, it looks like the ocean so the biggest reserve of fresh water that we have is actually in lakes I thought you were going to say in Canada because it's also in Canada. Well, it's all uh, as a portion. It's like twenty percent of the for, for the world's water is in Canada. But so, what do like limnologists like? Why, you know, this is the point. This is the question to you, um, as a smart person. Why do people like to call themselves names? You know, you could have called yourself like a water person, or uh, because limnology is so complicated. Do you yeah, know no, why no. people have like disciplines and subdisciplines in a world where we all want to be multidisciplinary? So, what is it about this? divisions and I suppose it's because people are trying to find their own specialty I mean I, I suppose if someone asked me what what I am I'm yeah. an environmental engineer yeah by way of the fact that I studied a degree in environmental engineering correct that being said I spend most of my time working with wastewater so you're a wastewater engineer so I'm a wastewater engineer but at the same time I also work with ponds because yeah. So you're a pond wastewater engineer. So I'm a pond wastewater yeah. engineer, or perhaps I'm actually a limnologist and I don't actually know that's that correct. I am. Well, here we go. <laughs> that's the next point to you. That's, that's going to be a fair question. So uh, now who studies, like we call these people limnologists. So who studies lakes is a limnologist. So anyone can be a limnologist, essentially. You can be interested in physics, which is how the water moves within the lake how the stratification works wait hang on hang word. on well, what's mm. stratification and us that's yeah. a really really big word yeah no we have this rule that if we uh say a big word we have to explain it or otherwise put a coin in in the jar so my jar will be full already so stratification is this thing where water of different density is actually uh vertically uh, distributed if you will so how so, are you going to explain density to someone that doesn't understand that well here you go ding dong there's another coin in there yeah so yeah. i can tell you a really really simple easy, way simple okay. way yeah, tell me. to understand what stratification is yeah. so we're talking about density mm. so density basically means how heavy or light something is yeah if you want to understand what stratification is mm -hmm. i suggest you go and get a glass of water yeah and then you pour some oil in it oh and then you're going to notice that all your oil floats to the top yeah. and your water is underneath. Yeah. That's because so it doesn't mix. So it doesn't mix. So okay. your so your oil is less dense yeah. than the water. Yeah. So then this that la that line that sits between the oil and the water yeah. is what we call our, you know, stratification line, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Interface. Interface. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's the simplest way I can describe stratification to oh, anyone. I will take this analogy and put it in the water. In the water, if you just put water there, could you have two masses of water of different density? And how can you achieve that? Yes. There's two ways. Yes, there's a couple of ways. Yeah. So, temperature. Difference effect. in temperature. Difference in temperature is one. So, colder water is more dense it sinks to so the it bottom. sinks to the bottom warmer water warmer water floats to the top and then you end up with another kind of stratification that way so if okay. you've ever if you've ever gone i suppose to a river or a lake in summer you'll find that it's a lot warmer at the top of the water column yes 
than it is at the bottom. You're oh, when you're swimming, actually you can get this. If you're swimming at some stage, if you go deeper, you will find that your your feet are in colder water than your body. Yeah. That's stratification. Yeah, that's stratification. We can have a whole episode about stratification, but why is the physics of stratification so important? It's actually one of the number one uh, the determinant, if you will, of how a lake works yeah. is that a lake can be actually separated in two masses. Yeah. And how that gradient between the top layer and the bottom layer is can actually make the lake almost operate in two different lakes. Yeah. And they are sitting on top of each other. But you and said that's they were really fascinating. Yeah, but you said there were two ways there we are. could explain yeah, the stratification. Second one. Yes. So what's the second one? Anna? Salt. If yeah. the water is salty it's heavier, yeah. it sinks to the bottom. So we're saying it's chemical here. So this it's is chemical. So this is, a, this is the same with the oil. Yeah, it's a chemical right. thing. That's so like correct. if you add salt to your water, it becomes heavier. That's so right. a good example of this that we use, we're in Perth here. So yeah. if you've ever been to Perth in Western Australia, you know that we have the Swan River. Yeah. And one of the great ways that we demonstrate this to students is we have a model size um, working model of the Swan River and we mix the ocean in with the river water which is fresh so the ocean we put some salt in yeah. and we have the fresh water and then we open a trap door and we let the salt water um, seep through so we have an estuary here so this is what estuaries are estuaries Correct. are where fresh water meets salt water yeah and salt water will basically sneak underneath, underneath yeah and the water and then you have this the, this stratification that ch changes with season yeah so if you take a walk around matilda bay near uwa university of western australia by the way uh near matilda bay you will find that that's an area where we find still some fresh water but if you go down all the way to Fremantle, you can see that it's mostly salty salty water but in summer when there's yeah. less flow from the river yeah. that salt I suppose wedge we call it we yeah. call it the salt wedge moves further up yeah. into the river system past the, yeah. the city area so this one thing this one very thing which is stratification makes everything about the river makes how the river is so dynamic what kind of organisms live in it yeah how the river behaves how it works what's its metabolism so yeah. that's essentially what limnology is it's about understanding uh the the how the system it's a system approach which is where it is kind of close to engineering yeah but going back to this notion if you study like your limnologist you can be a sociologist and study like can't you you could be anything. You could be a, lake, an, really. a historian because there are so many important lakes in the history. There are deep lakes, there are large lakes that have actually uh, um, shaped the history of, of, the, of lots of regions. Uh, in the Balkans, for example. In oh, like, over like the Caspian Sea. The Caspian Sea. Uh, you know, in Africa, there's large lakes in Africa that have a whole culture and a whole yeah. uh, society and sometimes a little bit of drama around them as well, which is, which is just what it is, is sometimes waters separate uh, you know, different kind of uh, places where there's conflicts and things like that. Water is always near drama. Going back to limnology,
immunologists and while immunologists have kind of been like a little bit of a, uh, living in their own bubbles over the years and I really like to send my wishes to all my colleagues and former professors I know so many immunologists around the world they are really really great people but they live in their own little bubble they, they certainly do like having yeah. having been to a conference with limnologists and yeah. oceanographers um, they're passionate people. They're very, very passionate people. About their own lake. About, <laughs> yes, they, they've, they form very, very strong attachments to their, to their study site. That's right. And so I call it in my lake stories. So there are lots of things that work only in their lake. So you can find lots of things. But what's really fascinating is that lakes don't behave in the same way. No. There's so many stories to them. And that's perhaps what we're going to do in one of the episodes is we're going to talk about some weird lakes. Like, like in Australia, we have lakes that work in such a way that it will blow your mind. You would not even know how lake can be actually super super saturated by uh, of oxygen like 3000 times you know oh boom i just said something yeah, big yeah, super yeah, saturated. saturated yeah that means that the lake bottom has more oxygen than the surface how could that happen it's really really fun we have lakes here that have like 6000% saturation of oxygen which means like oxygen is being produced at the bottom but not coming out why because of Stratification. So you see there's lots of things about lakes. There's large lakes, small lakes, big lakes. So everyone has their in my lake stories. And there's also the monster that lives in lakes, isn't it? Oh yeah, like the Loch Ness monster. I know, like lots of people have studied that or whatever. So there's lots of histories around. There's lots of things that are related to how people kill others and put, put them in lakes or whatever. There's always this story that someone was uh, you know kidnapped and sank in a lake and nobody so in Canada for example there's millions of lakes and there's I'm sure there's at least one million lakes called Trout Lake and you know what in Canada they call Trout Lake the lake where there is no trout you know why to, to, to get people to go there and <laughs> that's see. right so if you're not from the place you go you you want to like fish for trout you go to the lake that's called trout lake <laughs> that's not where the trout is but what they call the trout lake they call it like half moon lake or they call it like lake by uh, the round or something so they give it like some an attractive name because you know in places like Canada the US uh, Sweden uh, uh, you know Norway Denmark or whatever there are people like you can have your own lake there's so many lakes there's millions of lakes just in Quebec alone Ontario and and they vary in sizes and shapes and they do all sorts of things in fact in North America the lakes are so pure in terms of their water because they are post glacier so there's not much sediment yeah and they are essentially uh, sitting in ro on a rock yeah and that's where water is so it's like under so people will build a cabin or build a house and will put like a, a, a pipe into the lake and get fresh water straight okay so I have a question for yeah, you Yeah, please shoot so you're saying lakes and you're saying big lakes small lakes large lakes. large lakes yeah. like we know like Great Lakes are huge. Yeah. 
how small is something? How small can a water body can be? Can a water be to be called lake? lake? Yeah, I know. It's a really, that's an interesting question. That's going to be something that we're going to talk about it in a sense that uh, there is no really limit at the, at the lower end. But there were new studies that where people, um, you know, try to count lakes. And you know, like you're a smart person, you're an engineer, you've got a PhD, and you know when you have a PhD, you're not an idiot. Uh, so you're, you're not an idiot, so you know, you know. So if I give you a challenge, I said, Leah, go out and count how many, how many lakes there are in the world. In the world. What do you think? Will there? Is it an easier? No, activity? that's like it's an almost impossible task. It's an almost an impossible task. So there's a number of studies now because of advancing satellite imagery. And what you do is you have to limit the minimum size of a lake. So we're talking about like, uh, uh, you know, less than a, a, a one hectare or something is really the bottom limit. But anything can be a lake. It all depends on how it was formed, you know, whether it was naturally formed or it was artificial. There's man-made lakes as well that we we we. Well, we there's shape. a there's a very famous man-made lake in yeah. Australia. That's right. Yeah, and it's quite famous because it's a uh, uh, you know. Do you know which one it is? Yeah, it's a, yeah. Uh, well, which one is the one at the top north? There? No. Yeah, well, no. yeah. Well, other than Lake yeah. Argyle, yeah, Argyle, which is Argyle to do with a dam, but actually, yeah. probably one of the more famous lakes in Australia is Lake Burley Griffin, yeah. which is in Canberra. Yeah. All right. Here you go. Which is so, uh, which is uh, there at uh, quite famous. Yeah, quite famous. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that was man-made. Yeah. It I'm is. gonna have to fact check myself. No, no. Like, I think it's man-made. I think it was a, I think it was a cut-off meander yeah. of a river yeah. or something. So it's really hard to count how many lakes. Why would you count how many lakes anyway? But it's really interesting. We're going to do an episode on it because, like, the point is how much water is there in in the, on the on the whole planet? That's another question. Nobody knows the exact answer to that one. There has been lots of attempts, but there's lots of discussions around it. So. Limnology is a really an open area, an open field. I mean, I really believe that people have to be grounded in some discipline before trying to go to multidisciplinary. Multidisciplinary okay, has so become like a fashion. Yeah, so what else do limnologists deal with? So we've talked about physics, for example, yeah. so stratification. Yeah, they, deal about the, they deal mostly about the chemistry as well yeah. of the lakes. And mostly, mostly, most famously, about the productivity and you know what you owe you or everyone owes limnology i'm going to tell you this story but you know how much nutrients is in a, a lake defines how productive that lake is a bit like if you have a plant if you give it nutrients it will grow bigger so a lake if it receives nutrients mainly limiting nutrients like phosphates phosphorus and nitrogen these are the two elements that define the productivity of a lake. So, so how do you most limnologists will be actually focusing on phosphorus. But how do you define productivity in a lake? Yeah. Is that does yeah. that mean that it has a lot of fish life? Yeah. Does that mean that it doesn't have an algal bloom? Yeah. Like it's, it's all of that. So the productivity is actually photosynthesis, then gives you these microplants, this microorganism called phytoplankton, and there's a whole bunch of them that live that actually rely on the nutrients to grow. And the phytoplankton is eaten by a little uh, uh, water fleas kind of organisms called zooplankton, which is essentially uh, uh, an animal version of the phytoplankton, if I might uh, call it that way. And then you eat it, and then the fish. Eat 
eat the zooplankton and the bigger fish eat the smaller fish and then you have yourself a food web and a productive and lots of lakes are extremely productive because they have fish and they have amphibians and they have a whole so it's a whole it's a so, whole so we're basically saying a productive lake is one that has a healthy ecosystem ecosystem but but productivity of the lakes has been defined by how productivity is from the fisheries point of view they are massive commercial fisheries that have developed around great lakes for a long time in Europe and other places where you know commercial fishermen were actually uh, fishing lakes that were produced essentially uh, 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 from from lakes there's many 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 kinds in North America and all of that other places as well in Europe so it is the productivity element so that's the next phase but let me just give you the story of how limnologists made one of the biggest contribution to the world and maybe annoyed people along the line. The limnologists discovered that phosphorus was the key element that triggers algal blooms. Okay. Okay, so we should explain what an algal bloom is. Correct, yeah. So do you want to explain the algal bloom or shall I? Because no, I've just seen, go for I've it. seen, yeah, I've seen, seen many algal, algal blooms so at this point. So basically, if you have an over, an overly... Oh, Growing, overgrowth. An overgrowth of algae. So yeah. you've got a lot of like, um, you might see a lot of growth on the surface, like um, weeds that are growing the surface and they are blocking out the sunlight getting yeah. into the lake. Yeah. That's, I guess, what we would define as a, a bloom. Yeah, a um, bloom is essentially an extraordinary growth of the photosynthetic component of the lake, which is the microalgae, the large algae. There's different kind of blooms, but maybe the most notorious or infamous are the cyanobacteria, which because they produce toxins. Cyanobacteria is also a big word. Yeah, it's a, oh cyanobacteria. Well, blue green algae, but they are really small. What we can do actually is special just on blue green algae. Yeah, well, that's one of my because expertise. they're actually not algae. Yeah, they are they're, not. In they a are. Sense. They are not. Yeah. They are, they are photosynthetic, but we can. That is a debate around <laughs> those, but. But these are things that can be also nasty and yeah. toxic. So, so there was this people who Volan Vida is actually the first one who demonstrated that there is a relationship between how much phosphorus there is in a system and how productive that phosphorus is. But that was like some sort of correlative evidence in '69. That's not a long Co time ago. Cor correlative? Yeah, so it was like a coincidence. It's sort of like things that happened together, but there was no cause to effect. Okay. But the biggest, biggest experiment was done in experimental lake area by Dave Schindler. David Schindler, who is one of the famous Canadian uh, limnologists or Canadian scientists, who actually separated the lake uh, in two parts. In one part, he added nitrogen, phosphorus, and carbon. In the other part, he added only uh, uh, nitrogen and carbon. So the part that had phosphorus on top, because the debate was, is it which one is more productive? The part that has only phosphorus went green like this and there's this famous picture that anyone can google and find and you can see one part is greener that was the nail in the coffin of phosphate and phosphorus and the phosphate industry to this to the level that the people who were studying phosphorus in the 70s early 70s this is not a long time long time ago actually in the early 70s they were receiving death threats from the industry 
that was making the soaps because the soap industry didn't want to change its way. So all the soaps that had phosphorus in it, all the fertilizers had phosphorus in it, all of that stuff was flowing in the rivers and was making the rivers really sick, essentially. So this is why now we kind of see sort of like laundry detergents and stuff like that that say phosphate free. Absolutely. That is the very number one discovery that made limnology so important in the world. It essentially put limnology on the map. And you would think that at that time we should get off or over the chip on the shoulder, but we didn't. We still think uh, of limnology as a little bit of a bubble. So we're, we're kind of proud and whatever, but essentially, uh, uh, you know, we know because of limnology that phosphate and phosphorus is a pollutant. The analogy would be, it's almost like the, the tobacco uh, battle. It's similar to that because there was at the time people who were saying, no, 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 phosphorus is not causing uh, the rivers to be sick. It's not causing the lakes to be sick. So let's just discharge wastewater. Let's just discharge an industrial water with lots of phosphorus, agriculture catchment, and it's gonna be. But the whole place became green. And then we started applying guidelines to limit the uh, uh, discharge of phosphorus into the environment. Yeah. This is the one and only element that is regulated around the world, everywhere around the world. It's really, really significant. I would say maybe the next one is microplastics and plastics, but it's very, very similar because initially that battle in the 70s was omnipresent. Now you will see, you go to the supermarket and you will see phosphate, uh, uh, low phosphate uh, soaps and no, no phosphate soaps. And lots of fertilizers are slow release. Lots of discharge is regulated. We can't discharge phosphorus from wastewater treatment plants as well. So there's a limit and guidelines on the it's loads. It's very that, strict guidelines. It's very strict gu guidelines. Lucky in some countries, but in others, it's still a problem. But but that's actually the single one, the one thing that Limnologies has contributed to to the to the to making. Uh, your life and mine better. That phosphate is what we now call the limiting nutrient in these systems. Correct, because phosphate is an element that's really interesting because it's a it's a funny, it's a rare element. It's one of the the top rarest element. I think it's number seven in terms of the, which means what is a rare element is an element that is not really, uh, doesn't exist in abundance in or in the environment that when the organisms find their way to it, they grab it very quickly. So there is a turnover rate or the uptake rate of phosphorus is within 30 minutes. So if you put like uh, 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 free phosphorus in the water, within 30 minutes is gonna be sucked up by organisms. Oh, that's crazy. I know it's crazy, but at the same time, if you put too much of it, they will go quick, uh, crazy on it and that's why they grow fast. Because they think, oh my God, we need now to eat, uh, to binge eat. It's a bit like me, if I'm not eating chocolate and you put a bar of chocolate next to me, I'll eat the whole bar of chocolate. Never used to happen that way. No, but, but you know, I'm just saying, <laughs> this is just an analogy. But look at this, limnology is actually so fascinating, but nobody knows what limnology is. So to those of you uh, limnologists out there, let me just tell you, I love you. This way, maybe you won't have a chip on your shoulder.
But let me just talk about multidisciplinarity. Why people sometimes, because I think people are like tribal. They want to have their own little church and just talk to each other. Well, what, what's the buzzword these days? Silos. Oh, silos. So, you know, I think, I think people have to be grounded in a discipline, but they yeah. need to learn from... You know, one of the analogies, you know, like one of my cousins was a pilot and every time he would say to me, um, you know, you know, this uh, this year I got myself qualification of this. I've got myself. So you know how pilots work? They they do they do first first they fly a certain plane, and then and then they go and get qualification in certain other planes, mm -hmm. and then they go and get qualification in certain other kind of flying. So you don't fly on like bush. Bush flying is different than ocean flying and whatever. So you keep going, and you see they put those little things on their show on their. On their uh, um, on their know. lapel, like uh, those, yeah. Uh, those so they pins. add those qualifications. So I would say, if you are a scientist or an engineer, you need to open yourself up to the world. So you may have started like limnologists like me, and then you uh, branched into environmental engineer, into wastewater. So the more you learn, the more you add things to your, and then you're more able to connect to others and work together and on solving problems right that are more comprehensive so i am all for multidisciplinarity but please have yourself a good tribe to start with don't you think yeah i mean you're you're from a more i suppose tribally proud culture to start with to start with place. i yeah. mean we've hinted at it here and us is moroccan yeah i'm from morocco so i understand what it means to be tribal <laughs> to be a tribe and you relate to things and you know but you have to branch to others you know yeah, so course. you can't just you know environmental engineering is such a broad church there are people who work on air on water on land but we all get together and because if there's a problem within a city then it should involve everyone you work with civil engineers you work with scientists with economists or whatever so so what's in a name really there's not much but sometimes you need to be grounded in a discipline before you emerge so for those of you young people out there you know learn something fundamental and branch into something depending on your interest so for me it has been always water so for me water in it's in all its forms so whether it's in a lake in a river you know the component that goes in the water my grounding in limnology has made me one of the best environmental engineers my grounding in limnology allowed me to bring lots of new concepts into wastewater engineering, into yeah. bringing all of those elements together. So you need to kind of, it's cross-fertilization, you may call it. Yeah. So I mean, it started I, as a chip in the shoulder. Isn't that much of a chip in the shoulder? Did well, yeah, no, I, I don't really think you have a chip on your shoulder now, except for when I pull you up on the fact. Anas is obviously professor of environmental engineering, but I jokingly still like to say that he's not actually an environmental engineer oh, by I know. training. I have, be I have become one. He has become one. Yeah, but you well. know, having a good grounding. So if I yeah. think, I think if particularly we were talking about young people, if yeah. you if you would have no idea what kind of field you want to yeah. get into, like you know, you're in high school, you don't know what mm. you want to be when you grow up, then believe me going from high school to becoming a real adult is really growing up uh -oh. and you don't really know what you want to do 
think of something that you are passionate about and yep. that you would like to know more about because it doesn't really matter what you do your degree in. Correct. And what you name your degree. And what you name. Don't call don't look for names. Just look for, look for topics that you're passionate yeah, about. Yeah. Because for me it was a passion about water from the get go. I think I think for me it was a passion about the environment. I'd always yeah. spent a lot of time outside as a kid. That's right. Um, my dad was a landscape designer. I was very much in with the environment thing, but yeah. I'm also very keenly a problem solver. So right. usually people say if you're a problem solver, you should become an engineer. Well, that's one of the things. So, you're, you're a scientist as well. Yeah. So I think you're kind of an engineer who became a scientist, a bit like my good friend and, and idol Jigwal uh, uh, Yuan in, in, at the University of UQ who started University a, of UQ? University, oh, no, University of, of Queensland. Queensland. <laughs> yeah, who's our famous laureate fellow. Uh, and he uh, he, be, he was uh, an, an, an air, aerospace engineer yeah. who became famously, he was probably the most famous environmental engineer now, Yeah. but, but started as a, a space engineer. How does space engineer relate to environmental engineer? I think it's the passion yeah. Curiosity. It it do, it really doesn't matter. So if you really yeah. don't know what you want to do, you know, you know you're passionate about science, do a degree in science. That's right. Major in something that you enjoy, and you yeah. know, don't don't think of what you choose as your career as being the be all and end all. Like, That's right. don't don't think that because Anas became a limnologist that yeah. he's stuck being a limnologist. In my own little bubble. Yeah. With my chip on my shoulder. Yeah, you know. <laughs> if Anas can get out of his little bubble, so can you. <laughs> but it's not, the bubble is not that small. There's like thousands of limnologists around It's a world. really big bubble. It's a really big <laughs> bubble. But at the same time, lots of them have branched either to hydrology as well, or geosciences, there's lots of geosciences in there. There's lots of biogeochemistry, people who work on fluxes, greenhouse gases, uh, which is another topic that we work on, Lee and I. Uh, you know, how much uh, fluxes of greenhouse gases come out of this system, quite significant. Uh, so it's, it's really fascinating. There's so many fascinating people who, are, who were limnologists and are still limnologists were my professors and I have lots of respect for them so learn so much from people who are focused on just a lake and then they can explain to you how the physics affects the biology how the biology affects the productivity how a lake evolve over time how does it look what's its role in most of them are passionate about being in a lake and living around the lake so that comes it is a cultural element to it so most of the people also live in Australia around the coast are passionate about seeing the coastline uh, being clean, productive and, and, and sustainable. Yeah. I mean, so, like, I think, I think despite the fact a lot of us have never heard of limnology and, yeah. I, and I hope that we have at least schooled some of you today. Clarified <laughs> some of it, but lots of people will. Uh, the, so we, limnology, we, let's say it yeah, again, yeah. limnology. We have a lot to thank limnologists for. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, next time you're having a conversation with someone near the coast and you, or, or you figure out what stratification is or you we work this out, you can say that's, you know, something that a limnologist does. Work on. Yeah, works on. But I have to say, to be fair, oceanographers, but again, you, you are fluid mechanics to some extent as well. So yeah. you've done fluid mechanics. In engineer, we call it fluid mechanics, which is essentially how fluid interacts with 
everything else. With everything else, or how two fluids interact with it. So lots of how 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 fluid moves. So we write all these equations uh, of momentum and you know transport and all of that, which are really fascinating. But they're applied to also to geology. So the same thing. It's geoscience. It's fluid mechanics. It's uh, what is it's chemistry, it's biogeochemistry. So if you study any of these areas, uh, it's history, it's sociology, it's uh, you know. It's funny because we yeah. say multidisciplinary these days, but to be fair, we're really just experts in one part of one discipline. Correct, but we talk to others and we rely on others yeah. to to come to. It. There is hardly any paper that we publish today that doesn't have people with expertise in so many different ways different yeah. things yeah. so and again going back to that analogy of a pilot if you are if you have 20 years of your career or 10 years or whatever you accumulate certain expertise and certain experience over time and that makes you uh, you know have like a toolbox that will allow you to to problem solve the more you have experience the more you have all of those not chips on the shoulder but but those those uh, uh, stars on your uh, on your uniform the better you are to solve bigger problems like climate change or or other issues like bushfires and all of that so all right so i think we've uh, covered the topic of limnology i think my chip on the shoulder is now just smaller Smaller, you reckon? You, you you think that we've removed the limnology chip yeah, we, and we'll, we'll just leave the other ones? Well, with? no, no, we we can address them. No, we can address them in <laughs> other episodes. But this one is about the limnology chip in the shoulder. And if you find the limnology, give them a hug because this is what we like. You know, limnology will actually be said, we love you because you helped us with the phosphorus thing and so many other things. You make our water resources look nice. You uh, keep us, you keep the dams healthy so dams are lakes essentially the big dams that we have our uh, water resources from is studied by limnologists so really important topic so thank I you so much yeah, for listening I'm not going to say I suspect that limnologists just want to hug yeah because they just want to know that you know what limnology is, is yeah I so, think so if anyone ever tells you that they're a limnologist do give them a hug yeah. okay so someone uh, there was a movement at some stage let, let's change our names and people were like no don't change the name why, why change the name what's because, in a name well at least you're not a malacologist <laughs> which is a person who studies the muscles remember so as in the what? shellfish muscles yeah, not no. not body yeah. moving there's muscles. so many uh, <laughs> uh you know expertise there you know well thank you so much leah it was really interesting and well it was it, it was it was nice to hear about your chip on the shoulder and have you sort of share this confession <laughs> with you yeah all right. confession with us so yeah. all right thank you so much for listening thanks everyone all right well we finished this okay, one bye. Yeah, bye.